Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Tune in and listen to the Injured List podcast of the Blue Wire podcast community and proud member of the Blue Wire Hustle program. Hosted by me, Brian Scott. I'm a licensed full-time physician assistant in orthopedic surgery and sports medicine. I break down the latest in injury news regarding your favorite professional athletes each week throughout the year. I have all your major sports covered from the NFL, MLB, NHL, MLS, and MMA. There is not a sport or an injury that I will not cover. Get the most up-to-date info in easy-to-understand non-medical language so you can make the better decisions when placing your bets or setting your fantasy lineups each week. Check out my website at theinjuredlist.com where you can message me ideas for topics or questions and listen to previous episodes where I interview former athletes and healthcare professionals to talk about their experiences with sports injuries. Welcome to a brand new episode of The Wrap right here on the Fight Game Media Network. Happy Monday to you all. I'm Keela Cash, and we're here today recapping NXT War Games. Don't call it a takeover for the first time, as this is 2.0's first major show on Peacock. But I'm happy to say I'm not alone per the usual, as I now have a co-captain on the Enterprise, my right-hand man, the guy who is here full-time every single week on The Wrap. Scott Young is here permanently with me every single week. Welcome to the Team Scott officially. Well, thank you. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be the number two. Uh, Dick Grayson is my favorite comic book character, so I have no problem playing the Robin here uh, to your bat or Batwoman. So this this works perfectly for me. Um, and no, it's it's really cool. I, I'm excited to do this, and uh, I'm excited to expand my role here in Fight Game. Absolutely. You were a great guest co-host the first few times we had you on the show. And now to have you here full time is awesome. And as always, that third chair tends to rotate a bit. And I think Scott gave me a little inspiration last week when we started nicknaming the groups that come by every single week on this show. And for this week, and maybe for the weeks that Jeremy's on the show, we will call ourselves Team Makeover. And filling that third spot this week, the left-hand man to the right-hand man, to myself as well. Jeremy Feinstone, welcome back to the show once again, covering NXT War Games. Just don't call it TakeOver. Hello, I'm happy to be part of the makeover. How is everybody tonight? We are great. Great. Let's do this. All right. So, Jeremy, 
was doing some really extensive research regarding the very first NXT TakeOver arrival back in 2014 during the first week of the WWE Network, which is now on Peacock, My Time Flies. So, Jeremy, when you did your article, you really kind of pointed out things that were similar to what we see today versus what we saw seven years ago. So please inform us of the things you noticed versus 1.0 to 2.0 in 2021. You know, what we really have here is history repeating itself. We have a show that had a lot of names in WWE that the fans weren't quite familiar with, and it was a way to introduce them along with uh, established established people in the WWE brand. Uh, And here we are seven years later and we have a formula in which we're taking established stars of the nxt brand and putting them in matches with new stars that they're looking to uh progress in the wwe universe and from there we just saw history kind of repeating itself uh matches in which they were going a certain amount of uh progress with the let me let me get this uh start over here the matches at arrival were kind of basic in a way that you were you were watching you were following along and you knew the pace and tenor of the matches and here we are seven years later and we have a show kind of the same way you knew what you were getting you knew the level of talent and skill of the performers and what we got was the uh, presentation of that kind of caliber Definitely. So, Scott, when you look at NXT arrival from 1.0 seven years ago and you see what we got last night, what was your initial thoughts versus now and then? So as far I actually think that was really well put by Jeremy as far as how he kind of said history kind of repeats itself. And I say that in a way that I think we're a little bit ahead of where they were then. Like, I think this was a better show than Arrival was. And I don't, but then I say that, I don't know if a match was as good as Cesaro, Sami Zayn. That was a fantastic match. And that was the opening match of the show um, for the NXT Arrival. I mean, so I, it's, it's kind of a give and take thing. Like there was some really, there were some good things on this show. There were some things that were really, that were not good on this, on this show. There were some things that were not going on Arrival. So I, I actually, I don't have a lot to, to add on to that. Jeremy put it really well. This is kind of history repeating itself. The only thing I could add is that I think we're a little bit ahead of where we were when Arrival came. Definitely. And I'm of the mindset of I'm all for change. When we look at NXT 1.0 back in September before the switchover, it was kind of a brand that was just kind of stagnant and it wasn't offering a whole lot. The fans weren't engaged. You you switch over and things are different now and you are trying to focus on the future, which is a very good thing. And there were some mixed results on last night's show. I'm not going to lie. I will offer some blame accordingly throughout this show, but I do see pieces on NXT War Games that I like very much, that are going to be stars one day if they're booked accordingly and they're positioned to, if they're positioned to shine in the right way. And it really boils down to the patience level of this new brain trust in charge of NXT 2.0. And we had some great moments last night, some not so great moments that really stood out as well, which we'll get to shortly. But I do want to focus on the good old days of the OG NXT from 2014 up until September 20- 
2021. We've had ourselves some legendary takeover events over the years that really formed our fandom as wrestling fans and unforgettable moments that really said, damn, NXT TakeOver did that. And apparently TakeOver is now a band word in WWE as Beth Phoenix called them specials now. We can't say TakeOver out loud, but on this show, we'll say TakeOver because TakeOver still matters to us. So Jeremy, I kind of pitched this idea to the group earlier this week and that I wanted you to pick some moments that you will put in a time capsule remembering the good old days of NXT before the 2.0 switch. There were three shows that I kind of thought about in my head and I decided that I was going to, uh, I'll tell you all three. The first one was the San Jose NXT show that pretty much put NXT on the map uh, around WrestleMania 31. You had the takeover in Dallas with the premiere of Shinsuke Nakamura. And then you had the takeover in Brooklyn where Johnny Gargano beat Adam Cole. I think for the sake of the time capsule and how history played out tonight, my choice is going to have to be the Gargano beating Cole at TakeOver in Brooklyn. Uh, it felt like the crescendo to a year-long story that uh, personally resonates with me as uh, a fan of long-form storytelling and, and pro wrestling. All right, Scott, you did a lot of research this week, looking through a whole lot of moments from NXT TakeOver's past. So what were some things that you would put in a time capsule for future generations to look at and say, yeah, this was some good shit back then? Uh, the, the Shinsuke Nakamura debut is, is top notch. There's very few moments in NXT that match that. Um, Finn Balor debuting the Demon is a big one. Um, as far as just the TakeOver's go, TakeOver Brooklyn 4, um, that's a that one right there is just the opening match. That's probably the first one I started rewatching. I even put something in the Facebook group about it, uh, the Undisputed Era versus Mustache Mountain. And there's just such a difference in the way the crowd and how the crowd receives the match and are a part of the of the match. And it adds so much when everything that they do, the crowd is eating up. And what I've noticed through a lot of these takeovers as I was re-watching them uh, is the opening match and all of these takeovers are just fantastic and they're you think you can't top it and they just each match just continues to build and the main event is just a great topping to just a fantastic feast you've had all night uh, another one I would say is takeover Portland you know, that one came in 2020. I think that one was a good example of kind of the newer talent and the potential that NXT really had. You had Keith Lever's uh, Dijakovic for the, for the North American title. They really showed out. The crowd got to really see what an athlete those two big guys were. Uh, Balor Gargano, this is right after Finn Balor turned heel. You thought they were going to do something special. Well, Finn Balor had a really good run, but you thought this heel run was going to be something special for the NXT brand. And it was good, but it wasn't as great as it should have been. They turned him face, I think, a little bit too soon. Um, the Broser Wades, Cole versus Champa, showed how good of a champion Adam Cole was. Uh, uh, so it shows Champa as the baby face, fighting from the neck injury, coming back for the big match. These are just, I mean, you could go down the line and there's, there's not a bad takeover. I, I think that's what really stands out is no matter what you pick, 
they're all going to just be great. You're going to get great matches out of all of them. And we can name certain matches, but you can't really go wrong with any of those takeovers during that period, especially once they get to that top tier status. Yes, 36 takeovers to choose from. And the one I always go back to is Brooklyn One in 2015. And it was the first takeover I saw in its entirety. I remember that every takeover was on a Wednesday up until that point. It was the first time there was in a major arena. And the match that legit, honest to God, changed my life forever was Sasha Banks versus Bayley for the NXT Women's Championship. It was the first match I cried at the end. I was very emotional. The first time I sat down and watched a complete takeover, and that match blew my mind. I had to show my mom this match on replay a couple of days later, and she's been a fan of Sasha Banks and Billy ever since. So when my mom's hooked on a match that is so great and she hardly watches wrestling, you've done your job properly. But that takeover was so special. Jusha Thunder Liger versus Tyler Breeze. That was a moment. I fell for KO and Finn Balor in that ladder match because how can you possibly top Sasha Banks and Bailey? But they tried their damnedest. And I think about takeover New Orleans as well. The opener match for that fatal five-way ladder match for the inaugural North America Championship. Adam Cole kicking ass. You think about the first battle between Ciampa and Gargano and the fans booing Gargano. Not Gagano, but Ciampa out of the building. It was just moments like that. And as Scott mentioned, think about where we were last year. Portland, it's takeover. It's 2020. The pandemic has not hit yet. That was the last true authentic takeover. And every match was a hit. And Speaking of tonight, I think about War Games 2019. I think about the opener, the women's War Games match. It's still one of the greatest women's matches in WWE history. I stand by that to this day. Put that in the capsule as well. All of these wonderful takeover moments that will stand the test of time, even though they can't say the name anymore until further notice, which leads us into tonight's takeover adjacent show, War Games, going down at the PC and this felt like a very mixed back show. You had great moments. You had some what the hell moments. But ultimately, it felt like an extra supersized edition of NXT on a Tuesday. You had some matches that belonged in a takeover. But mostly, I felt like some matches belonged on NXT on Tuesday, to be perfectly honest. So before we really dive into the heart of this review, Scott, what were your initial thoughts overall on the framework and the presentation of War Games from NXT? I, my initial thoughts is what, what kind of, what, what was the crowd on? I mean, they were on something. I mean, they were just on fire. I, I, I haven't seen a WWE crowd like that since probably money in the bank, maybe like, I don't know what was going on with that NXT crowd, but they were on something. I don't know what they were telling them when those video packages were going on, where we got a video on every single superstar that did not wrestle. Uh, but they had the crowd fired up. Um, so that's one of the biggest takeaways for me. Uh, and I, the show was good. It was, it was good. It was fine. I think you put it well. It would have been great on a Tuesday. I think if this would have been on a Tuesday night, I think we, everybody would have been blown away, but as a pay-per-view, it was fine. All right, Jeremy, your initial thoughts on war games, not quite takeover, but kind of like a makeover. You know, I, I have to agree with you guys. I was going into the show and the, the energy was a lot of, you're not supposed to 
think this show is going to be cool. You're not supposed to feel like this show has any magic or oomph or anything other than the forgotten redheaded stepchild of a brand of, of pro wrestling. And when the show started, I I didn't feel that. I felt I felt an energy. I felt like there were people going out there with something to prove and and telling the audience there and the audience on TV is like, hey, don't count us out just because we're new and we're we're not what you're used to. And that was that was a good energy to to feel out from the beginning. The crowd. Oh, I would get to this crowd right now with our opening match, which is War Games. The ladies' War Games match, they really don't classify the teams as Team Io Shirai and Team Tox Attraction, but I'm going to go there and say it. It was Io Shirai, Kaylee Ray, Cora Jade, and I believe we have Raquel Gonzalez on his team as well, ironically enough, who won War Games last year for Team Candice LeRae versus Team Toxic Attraction, all the champions, women's and tag team, repping the crew, Mandy Rose, Jesse Jane, and Gigi Dolan, alongside Dakota Kai, whose hair I loved last night, by the way. And I must say for this crowd... They really were indecisive on Cora Jade for a large portion of this match. You went from you can't skate to use your skateboard to go Cora go. I'm like, what the hell is going on in Florida tonight? What has Cora Jade done to you? Plucky, lovable skateboarder Cora Jade, Florida, 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 Florida. I really wanted WWE to immediately remove themselves from this state and take NXT elsewhere at this moment. But... I digress. I shall calm down and I'll let Scott take point on his initial thoughts on this matchup, which I deemed a beautiful disaster in all honesty. So this this women's match, I thought actually started out really well. I I thought when it was the when I say that, I thought it was backwards but I thought they did it well as far as what was going on. If this advantage would have been the other way around, like this would have been fine. Um, Cora Jade, the you can't skate thing, that was that was very weird to me. It, it came out of nowhere. I don't know why the hate for her. Uh, she even reacted a little bit to it and kind of threw a little bit back at the crowd, which I actually liked, and I was a little bit more engaged. But uh, this match was, was good. I thought Io Shirai showed good fire. I liked that they took her out quick to kind of even the odds. They they did little things to kind of make the advantages and disadvantages work. Um, I thought the match was, it felt really long. Like once you got to everybody being in the ring, it felt long. Gigi, I thought stood out in a good way. I really liked what she brought to the ring. She's got, she's got a, not only a different look, but she's got a little bit more of a, 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 a stronger style to her, to her attacks and to her, to her strikes. Uh, I like that about her. She brings a little bit more viciousness. They, the camera angles really stayed on the wrestlers after the moves for a long time. It felt like after the match, a little bit too long to the point where you were just seeing a little bit too much. And I, I just don't I don't know if they were some of these girls were ready for a match like that. It was fine, but it, I just think they were asked to do a lot. That dive by Cora Jade. Wow. I mean, I don't know if she was supposed to do the flip or if she was just supposed to go straight splash or if she couldn't decide and she decided to go flip midair. But that looked bad. Then I really thought she popped her shoulder out. Then I thought Io Shirai really popped her shoulder out when she was trying to pop her shoulder back in. So it was a lot going on there. And, I, you know, I, I I don't know, man. I don't know how to feel about this match because it was 
there was some good moments in there. Like I thought Kaylee Ray showed a lot of good fire in there, especially for someone who I didn't, who I don't really see as a baby face. I thought she showed a lot of good fire in there. Io Shirai is fantastic. She's one of the best wrestlers, period, male or female in the world. The things she can do in the ring is incredible. Um, and I, I, like I said, I thought Gigi stood out the most. So the match was fine. I thought it was very, very long. And that's that's really where I'm at. This was a really long match with a couple shining moments. All right, Jeremy, your turn and your initial thoughts on this match and the finish. You know, when you look at the four-on-four matchup, there are some things that stand out, like, as you both have mentioned, what is Cora Jade doing there? And I I had the bat signal up in my mind that she was either going to be involved in the pin. I thought she'd be taking the pin, not getting the pin, but she'd either be involved in the pin or involved in an advantage uh, factor in the in the match because it was so bizarre her being there. And so when she did the splash and the injury angle and was kind of laid up in the corner of the match, you're like, okay, there it is. There we go. That's what we're looking for. Um, the issue I had with the match was between the breaks of every wrestler, it was incredibly decompressed. You would have one to two, ma- one to two moves that the team advantage would, take on their opponent and then kind of stalk the ring, walk around, preen. It really did slow down the match, like Scott mentioned. And it made it so that while you're trying to feel like what these uh, wrestlers were feeling in the ring, what you got was, okay, we get it. Like they they overstayed their welcome on a lot of these moves. And it, it led to a lack of crispness, uh, a lack of uh, briskness and speed in the match that we were all kind of feeling by the time Raquel Gonzalez got into the match. I was uh, generally, generally I thought the match was better than I thought it was going to be. And I didn't have low expectations for it, but my expectations were definitely, they definitely needed to be exceeded and they did. Hi y'all, Double G here. My co-host John LaRocca and I have been re-watching episodes of 1997 raw the turning point year for the wwf and reviewing those episodes on fight game media network plus in 2022 we'll do the same thing with 1998 raw so if you miss some of the golden years of the wwf come hang out with us every week we'll break down the shows and the pay-per-views as well and give you context and insight through our research that will take you right back to that time frame It's wild watching these shows back with current eyes. Subscribe at patreon.com front slash fight game media. I will say I had a love-hate relationship with this match and that Corey Jade, she is a great seller because she sort of ass off with that injured arm spot through that table, a crazy splash onto Jesse Jane. That was absolutely positively ridiculous. It was a great spot. And noted doctor and physician Io Shirai popping the shoulder back in place. And Io telling the doctors, no, I got this. She's not going to punk out on me on this match. I thought it was great. But the hazard pay must go to Dakota Kai because for the second year in a row, she starts this match. She gets her ass beat. She goes through kendo sticks. We have Raquel Gonzalez put Dakota Kai in the 
trash can and she spins her around about five or six times. She's moonsaulted courtesy of Yoshirai. Dakota fucking Kai deserves a <laughs> bonus. She deserves hazard pay. She deserves back pay from what she went through last year. This woman is an MVP of war games back to back years. And my only issue with this match is actually the finish alongside the psychology, because as you both mentioned, you don't book a war games with the baby faces having the advantage the entire time. You slow down the pace. The baby faces are never disadvantaged until you have weaponry involved, which is cute and all, but still it's psychologically backwards. The baby face should always be in peril. And thankfully they thought about that with Corey Jay's injury, which really played into the finish. Now, unfortunately I thought it was a weak finish. Raquel Gonzalez is all the work. And then Corey Jay picks up the pin without one impact move, despite the bad shoulder. Yes, she was a fighter, grabbing that kendo stick and whirling at everybody in the, on the heel team. But you need to really get her over as a fighter, an underdog that can score a win with a legit move to take out her opponent in the end. And I thought that NXT missed a mark on really cementing Cora Jade as that plucky baby face you can really get behind. Thankfully, she has all the natural charisma and talent to get over on her own. But this crowd last night was so up and down we hate cora we love cora fuck that skateboard give us that skateboard it was all over the place and it kind of took me out of the match a bit alongside the psychology of the baby faces having the advantage the entire time which made no sense last year and it made less sense this year you know and one other thing that really irked me about this match it just it really upset me when i saw it and i don't know why but cora took one of mandy rose's finishers and kicked out of it and just stood and just sat up like it wasn't like a yeah. kick out and you get fired up and you kind of have that mean face and you're breathing hard and stuff and you're you know you're ready to go when you hit some big moves she just sat up and looked at her and was like okay what do we do next and it, in that part right there like i was I was with everything. I actually thought that was going to be the finish. I thought Manny Rose was going to hit it. Core was going to kick out. We feel the sympathy. We build up this baby face who just kicked out out of having her arm ripped out. And then she takes another one. We get the pinfall. But she just sat up. And they just kept going. It was a very awkward moment. And it, it really took away from the finish. And then like you said, if she's going to get this big pinfall, why not have her hit that big dive to win the match? Have have Raquel do everything she did at the end, dominate the match, and then they put somebody on the table. Io's about to go up there, and, and they do exactly what they did. And Cora runs up there instead, you know, and is like, no, let me, I got this. She goes up, hits the big move, gets the big pinfall. The baby faces stands Hall. Why, why couldn't you just do it like that? She gets, she gets over, like, because she puts a big move on. She gets a big reaction Nice baby face reaction. It's simple. It's effective. You can even have her kick out of Manny Rose's finisher early on like you did. So you could have the match exactly the same. Just move that big table spot to the end. Core comes off bigger and better than, like you said, just taking off of Raquel's hard work. It just, it, it, everything about that from the point where she sat up from the kickout seemed off. Absolutely. It just felt weird. If you're going to kick out, at least sell aggression. Like, uh-uh, I'm not going out like this. She sold us. Wow, I kicked out, and I don't know what to do next. And that is not the vibe you want to be providing during the heat of this match. But 
on a more positive note, I want to thank the Lord above that Jesse Jane on this night did not have a catastrophe with the ropes. Thank God the ropes and Jesse Jane on this night agreed with each other. They were in unison. They were in cohesion for that. Thank you. And she was perfectly fine in this match. Thank goodness. Now, next up is the NXT Tag Team Championship match featuring Scott's boy, Von Wagner. <laughs> <laughs> Same face Wagner, man, this guy. Same face Von Wagner and Kyle O'Reilly versus Imperium's Fabian Eichner and Marcel Bartel. And I've already given a bonus check to Dakota Kai. I want to give the bonus check and the game check to Fabian Eichner. This dude said, no, 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 no. We're not doing 2.0 shit tonight. We're doing 1.0 NXT UK shit on this night. This dude was incredible. But Jeremy, what's your thoughts on this tag team match, which gave us a little takeover flavor despite the makeover of it all? Hey, when did Imperium get that glow up? Because they have <laughs> looked amazing over the last six months. They have quietly been doing the work, and they have been quietly putting out bangers here and there. They should be the tag team champions. They really should be. Uh, this was a heck of a match. Three out of four of the people in this match uh, are just tremendous workers. They, they're great. They're, they're great. Watching Eichner just jump around as if he was weightless watching uh yeah just von wagner being a beast was seeing some potential in the future kyle riley if this is it for him tonight and the cage match going into uh tuesday man what a run he's had it's been it's been a lot of fun seeing him grow in this development system and if you move on somewhere else so be it but uh marcel bartel and fabian eichner were amazing in this match and wagner definitely held his own all right scott your thoughts on your boy von wagner kyle o'reilly and imperium tearing it up in this nxt tag team championship match i i wasn't quite as impressed with wagner i i thought he i thought he kept this match from being great like just from being a great, great match. I thought it was really good. Like you said, Jeremy, they had three great guys in there. I thought Wagner was okay, but they I think they asked him to do some of the wrong stuff. Like they asked him to do the world's greatest tag team spot where he, he leapt over he leaps over uh Kyle O'Reilly. They didn't do that right. Like that looked bad. He had a couple other spots where he just kinda looks lost in between moves and stuff. Like there's just not a He's not a smoothness to him. And like you said, that is just him being a younger guy. And there were some moments where he looked good as a powerhouse. He's got a really good angle slam. That looks really good, especially for his size. Um, man, Eichner, that guy. I mean, what, what can't he do when he caught Von Wagner and then squat and, and in the squat, sat with him for a minute, looked at old boy and then popped up like, then next thing you know, he, he he's hitting the double springboard. He's hitting the spring the springboard dive to the outside. I didn't see him going to the outside with that. That was nice. Really well done. Um, Kyle O'Reilly has just got something different about him. He's got a different type of move and different type of feel to him. He moves different in the ring. I really like that. I I would have switched this him and LA Knight in as far as the roles. I just think Kyle O'Reilly should have been in that. The final, his final match should have been in War Games. He's been in every War Games match 
since he's been there. Undisputed Era has been in, in every in uh, every War Games match. So I just an LA Knight, I think probably could do more with the Von Wagner. Like they both could turn heel, and it would make sense. It would work. But that's neither here or there. I, this match was great. The match was really good. I think if Von Wagner was a little bit better, this would have been a fantastic match. Um, this felt like an old school NXT tag team match. It really did. I felt excited down the stretch of Eichner just putting in that work, springboard cross bodies, springboard moonsault, the deadlift fireman's carry to a squat and two a Samoan drop was ridiculous. And Eichner and Kyle O'Reilly striking in the ring, trading shots, going for counters, guillotines, knee bars, all of that was simply incredible to watch. And ultimately, Eichner was able to get back in his corner to Marcel Bartel to hit that European bomb for the one, two, three, a really good match. And you would think this would be the come down match after war games, but this was exceptional work down the stretch. And Fabian Eichner, my goodness, this man was incredible last night, putting in that work and just, uh, the best, but let's get into the post-match, shall we? So, Kyle O'Reilly's been through some things the last year or so. Betrayal, backstabbing, losing your tag teams. And Von Wagner says, hey, Kyle, a couple of months ago, I'm your friend. I've got your back. Let's go camping and share some beers. Let's bond. Let's be a tag team. The moment they lose this tag team championship match, Von Wagner is ready to strike. But Kyle O'Reilly knows a bullshit a mile away, and he beats Von Wagner's ass. Gets a great pop. He does the UE finger pose. He does the suck it. He is going crazy. I've never seen a person this excited since Aaliyah beat Robert Stone's ass as she got promoted to the main roster. That's how excited Kyle was because he knows in about a week's time, I'm out of here. I'm gone Free at last. I am done with this place. And it's kind of sad when you think about it because Kyle O'Reilly a year ago was vying for the NXT championship against Finn Balor. And they had great matches. The NXT TakeOver 31, New Year's Evil. We had another TakeOver match between the two. And they were all great. And I thought Kyle's time was now. He could be the face of NXT. But NXT's changed so much. He had a great rivalry against Adam Cole. But the fans loved Cole too much for them to really embrace cool Kyle O'Reilly. And now Kyle's heading most likely to AEW, a place where he can thrive and have his War Games match via blood and guts between the elite by this time next year, possibly, which I don't doubt for a second. So it was a nice almost one song for Kyle O'Reilly. But Von Wagner, a a rookie that cannot even execute a backstabbing attempt on your partner, only got a few words to say to you, sir. You big dumbass. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well at least at least at least you used it right when Vaughn uses it he's not even sure if he's supposed to be saying it so uh, you know at least you got that going for you and, and another thing can I just point this out about the attack like you 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 bring up that Kyle saw it coming well Vaughn faked himself out and if you, you could see him in the background he threw like a fake clothesline and realized Kyle wasn't turning then pulled it back so then Kyle turns and I'm like Man, Vaughn, I, I don't know what to tell you. You need to be a heavy. Like, he just needs to be a heavy for right now. He's not, he's not, re- I don't know if he's ready for this. And I'm kind of upset that this is the last we're going to see of Kyle O'Reilly is having to deal with Big Vaughn. It was, uh, it was pretty amazing to watch somebody <laughs> plan, 
the mo the movement in their head as like almost like the wily e. coyote and the roadrunner that was the that was the level of uh hygiene and gimmick that we that we were working with here he literally waited ran waited ran went for it oh didn't oh work gosh. out for you <laughs> not 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 a good look for Yvonne better days ahead better days probably on Tuesday probably on Tuesday most likely on Tuesday because they have a steel cage match on Tuesday, probably Kyle O'Reilly's final match in NXT before jetting off to AEW just in time for New Year's Smash 2021. Just a big prediction by myself because I sense this shit coming a mile away and I'm happy for Kyle O'Reilly. He gave it all he could in NXT, but things have changed and greener pastures are ahead. And to Von Wagner, you know what, Scott, when he said dumbasses on Tuesday, I thought of you immediately, but he really was the biggest dumbass of all last night. <laughs> I can't resist. It is what it is. He is, it is, he, he is who he is. Like, <laughs> same face Wagner is who he is. And I'm going to tell you this much. If he is not able to put out a great match with Kyle on Tuesday... There, like, there, there's not much else you can really do with them. Like, if you if you can't get a good, a really good to great match Tuesday, I, I I don't know what else you can ask out of out of Vaughn. I don't mean to be insensitive here, but does he have a furrowed brow, or is it always furrowed? Like, just just he- eyebrows down, ready to go. I, I'm always mean face mugging. Is that is that a permanent look, or is he intentionally looking like that all the time? Same face, Wagner, dude. I don't know, <laughs> but that's exactly who he is. Like that's yeah. all he is. He's a heavy though. He could be a great heavy, and I think yeah, he is the- good for a tag team. But I think he's a great heavy. He's the guy that puts one fist into his open hand and just grinds it in there. Just like, yeah, yeah, I'm exactly. gonna crush him. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. yes. And let's mention something from SmackDown a few weeks ago as Von Wagner played the heavy for Adam Pierce and he could go to SmackDown, get promoted to be the heavy to Adam Pierce. And just think about the glorious moment. Brock Lesnar F5's Von Wagner. It will make me so happy because that was heavy to supposed to do. Take ass whoopings, you big dumbass. But let's move on now. I can't help it. It's so easy. I'm sorry, Vaughn, but dude, no. So moving on to our next match, which felt like an NXT match going down on a random Tuesday night. It was Cameron Grimes versus Duke Hudson in a hair versus hair match. Loser will be shaved somewhat bald. So, Jeremy, what are your thoughts on this match? It was there. Cameron Grimes won. He needed to win this match. Uh, other than that, I I had very little investment going into this match, and they did not reward me with watching it other than I got to see Duke Rock, Rock Hudson, Duke Hudson get uh, his haircut. I did like that the match ended on a flash move rather than Cameron Grimes doing his stomp finisher because it caught me off guard. And for a stipulation like this, sometimes that's good. 
sometimes it's not so good for the fact that it wasn't a consequential one two three pin for a title i can be okay with the fact that this guy got his head shaved without taking a finisher for his troubles uh will i ever want to discuss this match after tonight or tell anyone ever to watch this match i don't think so but it was fine for it being on this show. It was maybe the worst match on the show. I'm not sure. I have not made up my mind until we talk about the rest of the card. All right, Scott, your thoughts on hair versus hair, Cameron Grimes versus Duke Hudson. So my, my initial thought is Cameron Grimes is ready to move on and um, start challenging for titles, man. Like, and I put this in the Facebook group and, and Jeremy, you know, says something about the, the million dollar title and I, that's, I, they just didn't do anything with that. Like I, I'm, I, I want him to do more. And I, I, I think this, like the crowd's ready for him to do more. I, I I don't like him wasting away with Duke Hudson. Even though I like Duke Hudson, I think there's something there with him. He's got a good look. He's got a good presence to him. I think you put him and Von, put him and Von Wagner together. Get them to pair it up. They can get on, do their own thing. We can get them out of the way, and we could be having Trevor Lee versus Kyle O'Reilly matches. But that's neither here or there. Again, um, Cameron Grimes is he? Like I said, he should be challenging Carmelo Hayes. I think we're at that point. Uh, especially, we'll talk about it later on in the evening. But I think we're at that point. And wh- why didn't why didn't we see him get shaved? Why weren't there like referees out there making sure do cuts and get shaved? Like that's part of the whole head shaving thing. Is the heel tries to w- run away, gets caught. This would have been a perfect spot for an Odyssey Jones. You know, a nice big baby face to come in, lay him out, have a nice big moment. He puts him in the chair for him and they shave him. Where was that? Why didn't that happen? Like, and as as Keela has, has named him the thirst trap Cameron Grimes, uh, we knew he wasn't getting his head shaved because he was obviously too popular for it. But why didn't we get that big fight from the from the heel? He's supposed to be fighting off, you know, no, 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 I don't want to be shaved. That was it's the best part of watching them get shaved, watching them get their come up. It's just watching them try to weasel their way out of it. So I didn't get that. Um, the match was okay. I'm just I'm ready for Cameron Grimes to move on to something important. I will say I was pretty shocked to see a five foot eight long haired wrestler defeat a six foot six. 250 pound wrestler pretty much right up the alley of the wwe and let them shave his head i every part of me was screaming that they were not going to do that and they went ahead and did it fair play to them that was the right call Yes, and Cameron Grimes is very popular. The fans love him. When you can really get maybe 200 people on their feet every Tuesday night because you're charismatic, you're talented, and you're able to make any gimmick make sense, that means you're a star. And I think he is more than ready for the main roster very soon. Noted GQ Thirst Trap Cameron Grimes is the best. He's been responsible for some of my favorite storylines in WWE this year. And this match was just fine. Duke Hudson is a really good wrestler, but he has a one-dimensional personality, and I know for a fact he's got more to offer via all those viral videos I see of him and Rhea Ripley together all the time on Twitter, so I know he's got something beyond being a poker player, and that's that, and that's that antiquated 1992 superstars mentality that WWE has when it comes to booking characters on NXT 2.0. The body of the match is pretty good. I loved the Poison Rana by Cameron Grimes and countering the Razor's Edge 
legend to another Rana on the turnbuckle and Grimes did cheat with a flash pin grabbing those tights for good measure as Ducussin tried to cheat earlier to win the match for himself. So I like the ending. The hair shaving was a bit disappointing because you do want to see a fight from the heel. You want to see that angst and that drama, as Scott mentioned. And I guess we'll see the full cut on Tuesday. But you do want to see half the hair gone on the show itself and not get the clean cut for Tuesday. But it is what it is. A perfectly fine NXT for a television match. Not so much for NXT TakeOver adjacent via war games. Next up is... Our semi-main event of the evening, dare I say, it's Joe Gacy, also known to me as Kevin Owens Light versus Roderick Strong for the NXT Cruiserweight Championship. And a week or so ago on this very show, I mentioned that I am kind of advocating for the NXT Cruiserweight Championship to be an open weight title moving forward, not using that bullshit Joe Gacy is using by inclusivity and all shapes inside. Not that. I want this to be an open weight title for anybody that wants to fight for the belt or you simply merge the North American and Cruiserweight Championships together because big guys got hops too. They can fly high and WWE does not give a shit about Cruiserweights anymore. 205 Live is dead. It's basically NXT. T plus on Peacock every single week for those upstarts who can't make the main show, but they're getting in that work via the internet show, which is equally as good for future reference. So Scott, what are your thoughts on this not so cruiserweight championship match between Joe Gacy and Roger Strong? My initial thoughts on this match is Roddy Strong can just go like that guy just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. Um, he's nonstop, man. He can pull out any move at any point in time in the match. He's fantastic to watch. Not a fan of Joe Gacy. I don't like his work in the ring. Don't like his character. Don't like what they've done with 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 Harlan. It, it, that's Harlan's his name is his heavy with the with the hair with no hair I thought he had a good look like I, he was a guy that was building a nice little following on Twitter on his own and they decided to do that with him so I'm really happy Joe Gacy didn't win this match I I didn't like any of the match I thought Joe Gacy everything every time he was on offense it just felt slow it didn't look as sharp things looked a little sloppy but then when Roddy came on there was just this burst but he wasn't a baby face so there wasn't like an extra energy to it there wasn't like a fire to it there was just he was just kind of he was running through it but he's Roddy so when he runs through it he's running through it and you you know you you can see the explosiveness but there wasn't that fire you would see if he was a baby face I do like Diamond Diamond Mine a lot I like the makeup of the group I like everything about it from I think Ivy's got a fantastic look the Creed brothers are going to be great I don't know what the guy in the back does he's always just there with his arms crossed I don't know if he's Mr. Miyagi or what's going on with that but he's just always there just standing around um so I don't know what, what he's doing uh and but everything else about this i i it's it's it was there man just another match that was there i'm actually a i would be open to roddy coming out saying i beat joe gacy let's make this an open weight let's just have whoever wants it come and get it we can make this an open weight title so i'm i'm, I'm actually all for that i'd like to see an odyssey jones come and challenge him again for the title this time instead of just a non-title match so yeah i'm all for the open weight all right, Jeremy, what are your thoughts on our noted cult leader, Joe Gacy, Kevin Owens-Light versus Roddy Strong for the Cruiserweight Championship? 
Uh, you know, if you went really, really hard and you watched this match, what you actually see is Kevin Owens light versus Dean Malenko light, because Roddy is starting to look a lot like Dean Malenko in my eyes, and that is not a bad comparison in the ring. Uh, Joe Gacy, I feel like they got a lot of mileage whether good or bad from an article that went on the new went on the internet a couple weeks ago that talked about the gimmick that Joe Gacy had and they kind of ran with it regardless of whether anyone really thought it was a good idea so what we had here was a match that didn't really have a reason for being other than we were going to raise the social issues that are going to get a reaction out of our fans. But, you know, the ideas of inclusivity and representation are actually really good ideas. And trying to reflect that in a negative fashion isn't it's counterintuitive in a lot of ways. We don't need to go into that whole aspect of it, but it just doesn't feel right. So you're watching this and you're just... You're seeing the backwards logic. You're seeing Diamond Mind, who's been portrayed as heels for the better part of their premiere. All of a sudden, they're the good guys in this match because the guy who's preaching inclusivity and uh, everyone being represented is being treated as a bad guy for trying to uh, have a belt mean more and have more people challenge. It's, it's really weird. It's hard to get through all that without making a whole lot of babble like I just did. But when all is said and done, Roddy led Joe Gacy to a perfectly passable match. I really like Scott's idea about Roddy. Just like, you know what? I took him on and I took him down. Anyone, come on, come on, come my way. That is that's a much better way of trying to incorporate the title so that more people can challenge for it. Absolutely true. And I think my core issue with, uh, with um, Joe Gacy is the fact that WWE does not understand how cult leaders work. And they're trying to make inclusivity sound like a bad thing when it really is. When you're trying to taint it with Joe Gacy's bullshit. And a couple of years ago, I was watching two concurrent cult storylines on General Hospital and Riverdale going on at the exact same time both leaders charismatic very good looking and handsome all about the fucking all about the sex all about the power and the control and joe gacy has none of that for me to buy into him as being a cult leader with these tendencies of inclusivity and all that stuff that i don't buy into from his perspective because it's rooted in bullshit and it's offered heat that he doesn't get on tv at all and when you throw in this match it's very nxt tuesday night it's not quite over war games take over adjacent quality it's perfectly acceptable roddy strong is great joe gacy's fine he's had moments on tv and he's been very good in the ring but it's more hit and miss for me mostly i did love the fact that ivy now is ready to roll up on him until she got jacked up by harlan which really went nowhere for me as well so all in all a very tuesday night match on a sunday that was just fine but i'm all for an open weight championship because cruiserweights they're great heavyweights are great they both have hops they both got style they've both got flash let's just knock down that damn door and give us those fantasy matches we really want to see on Tuesday nights besides cruiserweight matches when there's not really cruiserweights to be found on this show these days. 
Keela, Scott, let me ask you real quick. Do you know of any cult leaders offhand that dress like Cheesecake Factory waiters? <laughs> Come on, bro. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> hey, let me tell you. Joe, I didn't even think about that, but that's exactly what Joe Gacy does. That's what he does before he gets to the there ring. Like, that's exactly what his other part-time job is, and that's fine. Like, that's exactly what he does. I never even thought about that. Chocolate milk cheesecake coming right up. I actually had some, what's crazy is I had Cheesecake Factory today. That's 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 fantastic. That's, that's Lovely. wonderful. Full circle. Full circle. Wow. So my mind is blown now because we have talked about side hustles on NXT 2.0, and Jeremy just revealed that Joe Gacy works at the Cheesecake Factory. He took the job Baron Corbin had when he had the same outfit on prior to becoming a king in WWE a couple of years ago. So the more you know, (laughs) side hustles are real, y'all, even at the Cheesecake Factory. And that's fine because you know what? Inclusivity matters, Joe Gacy. It really does, truly smooches and now it is time <laughs> jeremy got something else to say before we go into the main event <laughs> please move on <laughs> <laughs> does, does you- harlan work there too oh <laughs> uh, dishes kitchen <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> so that's why he's always pissed off just quiet just working in the back so let me let me let me let me I want I kind of want to dive into this sure. real real quick. So sure. does is Joe Gacy like a hostess? Is he a waiter? <laughs> uh, I think he's the one that's gonna come by and get your drink. Okay, all right. So yeah. he's just yeah. the initial waiter, just the first one to welcome you, tell you the specials, and he's gonna be like, yeah. Then your then your waiter is gonna be on their way. He's gonna get your drink order too. Okay, all right. Drink order, drink order guy. So he's he got the man- he's a manager. He's a manager. Yeah, sure. 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 Oh my gosh. Sure. Oh my god. So it is he that the guy of confidence? That's a leadership, a cult leader, manager of the Cheesecake Factory. Oh my god. I'm trying to recover here from things I did not know before. He's the guy that gives you that little that little gadget to see what number you are before you're able to take mm-hmm. your table. He's that guy. And that smile is so damn convincing. I'm going to have a good meal at the Cheesecake Factory too. So and Harlan, let's think about this. He's working the dishes and he's got to wear a hairnet because, you know, hair that he doesn't have anymore because he's no shaved. <laughs> and, he, and they shave the hair. Yeah, the visual. Jeremy gave us more layers for this storyline that does not exist more so than the actual one dimensional side hustles on 2.0. Give Jeremy this job, I swear, but I digress. Now it is time officially for the main event of the evening as I opened up a 40 and I poured it on the end of the black and gold brand officially as it was black and gold versus 2.0 the Nickelodeon colors from Nickelodeon Studios in Orlando Florida it all fits here as it was the OGs Tomasa Ciampa Johnny Wrestling Johnny Gagano the Bruiserweight Pete Dunne and lifer lifetime member of black and gold since February 2020 21 LA night. Yes, that lifer <laughs> of black and gold versus 2.0's Braun Breaker, NXT North America champion Carmelo Hayes, Grayson Waller, and Tony D'Angelo. And Tony fucking D'Angelo. <laughs> and let me tell you something now. I'm going to compliment this man. I'm going to compliment Tony D'Angelo. Tony D'Angelo on this night understood the assignment by doing the bare fucking minimum and i respect 
that. You accentuated strengths, not as weaknesses. You give me window dressing and not too much. Just give me enough of Tony D'Angelo doing very little and not feeling out of place in the least. And Trick Williams providing that outside handling of the furniture, the chairs, the tables, the candlesticks, doing great work on the outside. But Scott, what are your overall thoughts on the main event as we feel as if this is really the end of an era for NXT Black and Gold, despite LA Knight being there for a grand total of 10 months? I, I mentioned it earlier. I think LA Knight and Kyle O'Reilly should have swapped spots. I think this that would have just been a perfect spot for Kyle O'Reilly to be in. I think you could have had him and Gargano having one last little hoorah in the ring together to close out the show. Like it, We all know what it is. Kyle got his moment anyway, and he could have got it with Johnny. And I, you know, But why, why do something that, w- that would work? And why do something that would be a feel-good moment to close the show out You know, for two guys who have busted their tails for you? Why do that? But as far as the match goes... It was okay. It was fine. I thought it was. I thought it was really good in spots. I. I think this was again. I know these war game matches are supposed to be have some length and some 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 girth to them, but this match again felt a little long in spots. Like there were some big spots to it, and I thought Braun Breaker looked pretty good for the most part. He wasn't really asked to do a lot either. Let's not leave him out of that. That boat. Tony and Braun. They, they were not asked to do a lot. I thought Grayson Waller got put through a lot. He had a, a lot of big spots. Um, Carmelo Hayes, I think he's fantastic. I, I can't sing his praises enough as far as what he brings, like his personality, just his, his selling ability, his quickness. He has a, a quick twitch to him where he can just explode off the mat very quickly. Um, Pete Dunn looked great. Johnny Gargano, just he looked, he just got beat up all night. I mean, that dude was bloodied. He was limping. He he was like, if I'm going to go all out, I'm going I'm to make sure y'all, I want y'all to lay into me. So they beat the hell out of Johnny Gargano. Um, I I, I like the match layout for the most part. I think LA Knight had a really nice spot where he did a pop-up belly-to-belly with, great again, Grayson Waller through a table. Grayson Waller went through like three tables, by the way, in this match, I feel like. He put somebody through a table where he went through his legs three times. He got put through it. Then I think he got put through like two tables. So Grayson Waller put his work in. Um, I don't, Tony D'Angelo had a nice spot where he did like a swinging neck breaker to uh, Pete Dunn with the crowbar. That was nice. Um, I, again, the finish felt a little flat, came out of nowhere. It felt, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe I, my expectations were high. Like we, we talked about the earlier NXT takeovers, like in the, in the war games, like we've talked about, and I've, I watched a couple of those and I probably shouldn't have, I probably should have just watched like the first arrival and that was it. But I watched a couple takeovers, and yeah, so I had my expectations high, especially for who you had in it. You had guys who know what to do. It just didn't, it just felt flat, and it didn't feel like it clicked all the way to the point where I was like, oh, this is great. This is fantastic. Towards the end, I was kind of like, all right, what's going to be the big spot at the end? So it, it was okay for me. I, I, Randy Jackson, it was okay for me. It was I to be fair. It was I. Jeremy, was it right for you this main event for takeover, not takeover exactly? Yeah, it was all right. (laughs) Um, the 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 match for me really felt like a two story match. One, it was a forty minute goodbye to Johnny Gargano, and there's no debating that in any way, shape, or form. And then the other part was 
dedicate a few minutes to Braun Breaker and uh, do your best to make him look good. Unfortunately, dorking him out with the chain at the very beginning of his entrance of the match didn't do him many favors, but they recovered pretty quickly. And by the time the match was over, uh, it was pretty much a forgotten memory, except for me bringing it up right now. The Gargano, the Gargano goodbye just it was so heavy and I wasn't expecting it to be that way. I wasn't expecting, I wasn't expecting that level. I was expecting something when earlier in the show, they did the backstage interview and then Tommaso Ciampa made the call to Johnny Gargano. like, this is your night. And you're like, okay, we're leaning in that hard to this. Okay. Then we have the rebel heart as the last entrance of the match. And then he starts the match and he is going the greatest hits. You have the kicks, you have the DDT, you have the moves, you get the crutch out, you have every Everything under the sun paced out for 40 minutes until you get to the end of this match and it becomes the goodbye between Tommaso and Gargano. You have some moments between him and Dunn. You don't have any moments between him and LA Knight because there aren't any moments between him and LA Knight. But with that being said, uh, it just it felt like a series finale and a series premiere all at the same time. And that is an interesting way to uh, tell a story within a match because you're saying you're closing chapters and you're opening new ones at the same time, which is always a challenge. I don't know if they hit it out of the park, but I do think that they were successful in trying to get the the story of the match across. It was a long, slow goodbye for John and Gagano, and I don't know if he's leaving next week i really don't know when you lean in this heavily i really don't know what to think at this point he's going to give us some answers on tuesday when you give us answers i tend to believe that you might be staying and might get promoted to the main roster which has to be the end game at this point there's nothing more he can do on 2.0 besides being a coach at the pc he's in it all on main main nxt and the Rebel Heart that did get me, that was a great nod to his past. Carmelo Hayes was great during this match. I loved when he broke up the finish and had that smile on his face like, no, 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 no. You don't get your happy ending, motherfuckers. I loved it. It was great. It was just great. Way, it was a great way to get heat down the stretch. I love the spear by Braun Breaker to chop on the table, followed by that Gorilla Press Slam for the win. As I predicted, the only way this match makes sense is if Braun Breaker pins Ciampa in order to earn another shot at the NXT Championship, presumably at New Year's Evil going down on Tuesday, January 4th on USA. Should be the main event, should be a possible title change as well. As well. We shall see. But I got to give LA Knight some nods, some credit, some respect. Dude is getting over as a babyface. I laugh every time I hear the yeah, yeah. Yeah, the fans doing it. I thought about Scott and CJ from last week when they <laughs> trolled me and broke me on this very show. So now I just think about that every time I hear the yeah from the crowd. And he was a smart cookie climbing the cage to get in there. He had a great baby face spurt. And I have to call out Grayson Waller, sir. So he thought he was going to do something really spectacular with a top from the cage elbow drop to L.A. Knight. That was a low-impact elbow drop, and all I thought about was Bailey would kick your ass in that very same spot. 
But I digress. But overall, this was a nice way to end the show. It was not self-indulgent via past war games that felt very long and self-indulgent. You had to get all your hits in there. This felt long. And Shawn Michaels, I know, loves long matches on NXT. This was a bit too long for me. A lot of downtime as people were whooping ass. You saw Johnny Wrestling and missing in action for a bit. Pete Dunne was in a timeout and it just felt like a lot of space between the moments that you had a lot of people in timeout until they got back in there randomly down the stretch. And Pete Dunne also put in that work by just fucking up Grayson Waller's fingers, trying to take out his earlobe at one point. Just great work for Pete Dunne as well. And I cannot wait to see Pete Dunne trying to have a really good match against Tony D'Angelo. My prayers in advance, because that is a story heading into the future episodes of NXT. And Pete Dunne is by far the most protected man on this show. And we'll see how it goes in the weeks to come. And also a shout out to Dexter Loomis coming back and surprising his wife backstage after spooking Trick Williams out of the ringside area, which was a nice touch as well. And a thumbs up from his father-in-law, Johnny Gagana. So all in all, a nice way to end the show, but a little bit long for me. Was there anything that stuck out more than Tony D'Angelo just being in the match period? Like like nothing like he he completely stuck out in in the wrong way. I I have no idea what he brought to the table to the match. I I think they could have won that 4 on 3 to be honest <laughs> with you. I I have no idea what he brought to the table there. I I think Von Wagner would have brought more to the table. And you know I'm not too high on that guy. So I just, I, I don't know what he was doing there. I, I, I'm, I'm not getting him. And I think he would be a great manager of like a faction where he's like, you know, kind of where he's playing the character he is, but he just runs a faction. I don't ever want to see that guy wrestle again. And I, I don't mean that. And I, I don't mean to be that guy, but I just, I, he doesn't do it for me in the ring. I don't want to see Pete Dunn try to get a great match out of him. You guys are probably right. Keely. That's probably exactly where we're going on Tuesday. You know, Pete Dunn's going to try to get his revenge. I don't want to see that. I don't, I don't want to see Tony in the ring anymore. He doesn't do it for me at all. There was only one other thing that I liked less than what you mentioned, Scott, and that was trying to understand what Grayson Waller was wearing for his ring gear. Uh, gloves and boxing gear? <laughs> like, I, I, is that, is that like an Australia style? I don't, I don't understand and I don't know and I did not like it. It, it, it was blindingly white and I, I couldn't stop looking at it. And you know what else is weird about that whole getup is that he does like basketball moves. Yeah. So, um, like, like are those like football gloves that you catch the ball with, and then he's doing basketball moves with the boxing shorts? Is he trying to show us all the sports that he does? Is that what we're going for? I don't know. I don't know how putting stick among your gloves is going to help you in wrestling, <laughs> but apparently there's a there's a reason for it because he does. He does a lot of things. He does a lot of things that we just don't understand. He had a good showing, but like, you bring it up. What are you doing with your fit, bro? Like, little things like that. What are you, like, what is going on? Like, what are you trying to get across with your fit? It just, and the face paint. Everybody had face paint. Like, and some of it didn't, it just, I don't know, man. Some of it was. It's because it was war. It <laughs> so, but they seemed like they were playing games with the face paint. That's what was throwing yeah. me off. I mean, it was war, but they were playing games with the face paint. Besides Champa, I, I just didn't. The face paint didn't work for me. 
<laughs> it was weird. And I can imagine Vince McMahon in the production meeting. War means paint on your face. God damn it. Paint. More paint. War. Games. That's Vince for you. Try to tell you what war really means is war paint. And Grayson Waller, I have a... I think I have a love-hate relationship with him because he had five personalities on the show thus far. As you've both mentioned, he's had the boxing background, apparently. Apparently, he's also a basketball player on the side. He was a thrill seeker. He liked to um, skydive, surf, and jump off of high things. He used to be a ladies' man and a love doctor for Cameron Grimes. And now he's stuck on the likes and the clicks on the gram and Twitter for reasons I don't understand. So he is going through a lot in two months on this show, which I really can't buy into as a character I can really get behind. So he is a very confusing character week to week and no telling what he'll come up with next as he will presumably continue his feud with noted babyface NXT lifer LA Knight. Let me, I, I just want to ask you too, since this is kind of like the end of a, a chapter, end of a, an era of NXT, who do you, who do you think is, is probably like the greatest or not the greatest, but who do you think is the best product to come out of NXT? Like, who do you think is the best wrestler that NXT has produced for WWE? Uh, this is a question that me and JD from Fight Game Media, best-selling author JD Oliva. Um, this this is something that we talk about a ton. Like, who who do you think is a success story from NXT? Ooh, that is a tough question. If we're going purely from the roots up, from scratch, not from the indie scene. I would have to say Charlotte Flair from the roots up as someone they developed in their system to be a 14 time champion. I count them all NXT as well. If I'm counting somebody that was straight from the indie scene, for me, it's probably a tie between Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano in terms of what they meant to NXT for so long with Finn Balor getting an honorable mention. Let me ask you this when, uh, with a question. Are you talking about their entire career if they started in NXT or their body of work in NXT their entire career like if they if they started in NXT like that's where they got their their ground training from Sasha Banks okay I, I like all of that I you know I, I'm I, I think Charlotte Flair is up there for me too um, I think you got up there like Bianca Belair Big E in there but when you really think about it like there's not a lot of people that you look at and say those guys or girls are stars. You know, Charlotte, Bianca, Biggie, who else? You know, are are star oh Sasha. I definitely put Sasha there. But like Bailey and them, they wrestled in other promotions. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's it's an interesting topic to bring up. But who who has NXT really created? And that's something that I think they probably want to try to do different with this 2.0. And I think they've done a good job so far. Braun Breaker looks like he's gonna be fine. Definitely. And I think that's the beauty of what NXT 2.0 can be is that we're trying to find the next gen stars right now. And for a long time, we had people sitting at that PC training off television for a very long period of time. And you have to see what you got because you can't keep signing people nonstop because eventually you're going to be oversaturated. You have to cut people if they don't progress. And I do like that six month rule. If you don't progress in six months, 
then, you know, maybe this isn't it for you and that's perfectly fine. But the issue is this mindset of 1992 wrestling, which was dead back in that day. And we're here now with the one dimensional characters. If they kind of sort that crap out and focus on people that you honestly believe can main event a WrestleMania like a Braun Breaker, then you've got something. But you have to marry the two together in order for all of this to make sense at the end of the day. I understand what they're trying to do. OG NXT wasn't working anymore. This version is trying to find itself still, but you have two fighting philosophies trying to agree with, with agree with each other. And it's still a tug of war right now between two things that don't quite mesh together just yet, even though you see the potential. And with that, I think it's time to offer our final scores for this not quite takeover event, War Games 2021. So, Jeremy, on a grading scale from A to F, what is your final grade for NXT War Games 2021? Uh, I'm going to give this show a B, followed by a happy birthday to you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. All right, Scott, outside of your disdain for Von Wagner that can bring down this grade, what is your final take on War Games? Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think I liked it as much as Jeremy. I'm going with a, a solid C. Um, I, I just feel like a lot of it just felt like filler. And it there was one great match and that's that's not enough for a take or these aren't takeover shows but for a pay-per-view so i'm gonna go with a solid c and i also second that happy birthday as well thank you very much i appreciate it and for me i would give this show a b minus right in the middle with you guys a bit because you know this isn't a takeover anymore and it definitely did not feel like a takeover you had takeover like moments with that tag team match with fabian eichner being incredible the first war games match was a mess psychologically but i do like the fact they're trying to get Corey jade over but you got to get her over by having her do some real crazy shit besides that dive off the cage and the main event was really a bow on the end of an era for nxt almost as Ciampa will surely lose that championship to Braun Breaker between now and the beginning of next year. And this was a nice first outing. It was a tough go at first regarding some of the psychology and some of the spots that did not work in both War Games matches. But you do see the potential of what NXT 2.0 can be if you have these two philosophies meet in the middle about what you're trying to do to establish tomorrow's stars today and beyond and to possibly see the end of an era with Johnny Gagano and Kyle O'Reilly might be saying deuces by Tuesday. It's something I do sense strongly. The Kyle is gone. Johnny wrestling. That's maybe 50, 50 maybe 60 40 in terms of what he's going to do he's going to be a new dad soon the contract might be nice if it's not a promotion the main roster i might dip but we'll see as it all plays out next week on wwe tv and with that i think it's time to put a wrap on this review as we get ready for a brand new week in wwe it's going to be a long one as we reach the end of the year heading into day one in atlanta on new year's day so i want to thank scott and jeremy for joining me on this winding review of not quite takeover war games thank you guys thank you for having me yes it's always a pleasure to be on
Yes, and this is the first of many shows dropping via the Fike Media Network on the free feed. And as always, if you want that good bonus content covering all things combat sports, wrestling for Dynamite Impact, and the five-star Joshi Report courtesy of Scott Edwards and Paul Fontaine and all the crew from JD to Mike, you know to find them on patreon.com slash Media. $5 a month to give you so much of what you need in terms of combat sports and professional wrestling for so much. For, for, so for myself, for Scott, and for Jeremy. Have a great week. We'll be back next Monday with a brand new wrap. And that's a wrap. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.